Hey, good morning, church family. How are you all doing this morning? Good, good, good. Good morning, everyone on Facebook. We are going to open the word today. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to open to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be reading a couple of verses here. Stefan's going to preach. All right, uh, Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 18 through 31. I'm going to read from the ESV. I'll let you turn there. Wait just for, for a second. All right, Acts 9, verses 18 through 31. And immediately... And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and this is the Apostle Paul that we're talking about. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gate they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Amen. Amen. face mask got stuck on the microphone. It's like most of my interests is kind of messy. Okay, so <laughs> I don't know who laughed back there. It made me very happy that you laughed like that. <laughs> um, okay, so how's everybody doing today? Do you have any idea what I'm preaching about based off that verse? Neither do I. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> All right, so If you guys don't know, we're going into a sermon series called The Many Faces of Leadership, which I don't know. I think it said many faces of a leader. But like in this place, we are talking about how influencers, as my big heart position, as you guys know, is discipleship, right? And as we talk about discipleship, it's how do we grow in reflecting Christ, that's the, simple, the most simple place, is to bring us into intimacy and start looking like Christ, which then naturally will create us to be influencers who then naturally will start acting like Christ. 
So that means that we all have a place where God is hidden inside of us, that Christ has met us and he, he, he's stored in our temple. And in that place, then we're called to pour that out. But I think that a lot of the times we're taught very specific ways that it looks like. I think culturally for the last hundred years, it's been the pastor who's the holy man. He's the head honcho. He's the dude, right? But the truth is, is that within what we want to go over is there is many things. There's, as I said, discipleship's one of my jams. That means that leadership development is also one of my favorite things. And in leadership development, there's over 83 profiles of a leader. 83 profiles. That means there are so many different ways to gift a leader and see the way that they'll be successful and what will make them weak and what will make them strong, what will make them capable. And there's places where a leader can do a bunch of different things, but that does not mean that is what they're successful at. So I wanted to take a specific time for us to be able to look and see different leaders that we get to interact with that aren't naturally as quick to be seen. That, in fact, these other forms of leaders are very impactful and that actually we all, no matter if we're following or we're leading, can see among us. And that actually within these different profiles and these different placements for us, we end up in a place that it's so simple to see where multiple leadership styles cross over but it's important for us to see that we don't all look like the big verbose alpha male. That's not one of the leaders we're going over. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure that one out, right? Or the charismatic leader, the one who just everybody can't help but follow, right? Or the likable guy, the one who's the networker. We're not going over that kind of leadership. Um, we're not going to go over... Like, there's, there's structural leaders. Really, I have three kinds of leaders that I personally respect kind of above other leaders myself. I know this sounds funny. I personally don't, like, my biggest high is not the alpha male, uh, nor any of those other things like, like that. It's like, because you can be gifted and be that. Doesn't mean you have good character. When we look at, for me, the first one, which we're not going over, is structural leader. And that's the person who's detail-oriented, looks at all the details. They're the person who actually carries a movement. You will never see them, or you might see them a little bit, but the thing is, is really, they're almost like the pillars that carry the kingdom of God. And it's beautiful, because those people are sacrificial, they're loving, they're caring. I also love, I love, 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 there's a, a, a leader called a chameleon leader, which I'm not, as I said, we're not going over that one. It's my other one I respect the most because they actually don't get the credit that's due to them. Like, they're the leader who can see what is needed and see the problem and because of their love for people, they'll become whatever they need to, to support. Another way that a lot of people talk about this leader is they're like the gum. You know, you just stick gum in places that is broken and it'll hold it together. And I think it's funny. Um, 
But today we're going over a leader maker. And when we talk about a leader maker, there is nobody. First of all, if you have a question about why I'm not talking about Jesus today, Jesus was fantastic. Jesus died on the cross. He resurrected. And he, he saves. Amen? Okay, we talked about Jesus. Uh, <laughs> he also said that we will do greater works than he. And so I'm not saying that Jesus is less than. I'm actually just saying not every sermon is directly about Jesus. So in this series, we want to see where we can be, like, impacted and even be able to see things differently so we're empowered by the gospel to actually pour out because we're all called to be something to somebody. And the truth is, is that even though you might not look like an alpha male, you might not look like the leaders you've idealized, it's time to figure out what kind of leader you are. So to just broadly speak about leadership, uh, a person is more or less a Christian leader as they exert more Christian influence and Christian character. Another way to put it is, is that by the degree that a person shapes others by their experience of Christ is the kind of leader they are. Super broad, right? But the reason why it's so broad is because even a janitor is a leader in the kingdom. Because the truth is, is that a king came as a servant. So we have to see that our idea of leadership has to be flipped upside down. And that it comes from every tier. That it's about you influencing through characteristics, through experience, through belief. And that it's not about where you have the right answer all the time. There's some leaders that are great teachers. I don't take that away from them. That's another subject we're not going over. <laughs> but the thing is, is that it's more about what we see in these hidden characteristics. What do you do in secret? What do you do, like that actually builds a kingdom, transforms people into Christ-likeness. And some people will be these things and can be these things, but the real question is, have you met the people that can't help but be those things? Have you met the people that, yes, they can mold themselves to be something, but it would take everything in them not to make the decision to do these things? So as we're talking about a humble leader maker today, Barnabas is our best example. How many of you guys know about Barnabas? So Barnabas, I'm going to give you a bunch of just quick facts. Do you guys know his name before he was Barnabas? His name was Joseph. Do you know what his living was? He was a Levite. Do you know what a Levite is? He was a priest. He was like a janitor in the temple. <laughs> he was doing the, the remedial duties of the temple, and he took joy in it. Do you know what that means? He was a faithful man. He was raised up to be glad doing the small things. To even take it one step further... Uh, I'm going to get to that actually later. Um, his character was amazing because as he experienced Christ, one of the points I'll hit on later is he sold his whole field. He sold his whole, his whole, all his valuables 
so that he can make sure the kingdom was forwarded. Isn't that amazing? Let's take it one step further. This great man had lots of doctrines. And those great doctrines, because he knew the Torah, and then he, he started hearing these teachings, and he actually took the lessons, and he stood by them. So not only was he a great man, but then he had great doctrines. But what transformed him to be more than just a great man was he lived out a great life because those doctrines were lived out by his testimony. He ended up being a great leader, not because he had the right answers, not because he could teach you everything about the Torah, not because he was some high holy person, but because when you looked at his life, the doctrines that he lived by were testified by his actions. Amen? How many of us want to be like that? I want to be like that. So I want us to, can you go to the uh, lessons of a humble leader maker? So these are our points for the day. You know I like my points, right guys? So the lessons of a humble leader maker, when we look at Barnabas' life, we look at these and these are what tell us the characteristics of these kinds of leaders. Encouragement and exhortation, eyes to see, a heart to seek, they're risk takers, they're humble and self-effacing, love for people, not things, patient and graceful in the face of failure. How many of us would love that in our lives? I love that. So I'm going to stop there for a second. Do you guys know what time it is? Testimonies. We're about to get real uncomfortable again. It's that time of the day. Okay, it's on. Oh. So, if you guys have a testimony, come on up. Give me a testimony. Is that you, Brian, raising your hand to. Okay. I was like, <laughs> I'll come back there with the microphone. <laughs> So who, who got the testimony? Anybody got a testimony? Anybody? Owen, you got a testimony? Okay, come on, let's see it. We welcome the little children. Amen? Come on. What do you want to say? So God loves us all the time. Amen. Woo! Amen. God does love us all the time. And all the time? <laughs> oh, I, I went back to my, my, my Baptist days. So I'm just joking. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, so, so how are you guys, who wants to give the last testimony? Anybody got a testimony? I'm going to call on somebody. We're going to get real uncomfortable. Okay. In five, four, three, two, one. The person's going to hate me. <laughs> okay, I won't do it to you.
I guess I don't know exactly what to share. Um, I went to the women's conference yesterday. Uh, Arlene was there and Charlene. I don't think anybody else in this room was there, but went to that and um, I was affected a little bit by something the speaker said and also what I've been learning in my life, um, kind of about fear, I guess. And um, there, there was a season last summer where I kind of felt manipulated a little bit. And I was talking with my, the person that's discipling me, who is Jonathan, and how um, like, I was able to be manipulated because I had a fear of hurting somebody. And I, you know, I had a fear of losing somebody. And so I was able to be manipulated because I had a fear. And the speaker yesterday was talking a little bit about how fear is so crippling, and it's because we take our eyes off Jesus, and we take our eyes off God. And this book that I read recently called The Courage to Feel, I've seen other people carrying it around, so I know it's kind of going around the church, um, talks about our motivations and how there's two, pretty much. We are motivated by love or motivated by fear. And I, it was just, it struck me so much yesterday that fear is a liar and God is love. And if we are using fear to be motivated, I don't know, it's just so opposite of God. And it allows ourselves to be manipulated. And if we have our eyes on God and like we don't see, um, we're not looking at even, like I could say the way I was manipulated last summer was because I love somebody. And I was looking at somebody else and I wasn't looking at God. And um, so I think that that's, I don't know, if you keep your eyes on God, you can still love people and you should love people and you will love people because God is love. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I guess that's kind of what I want to say is that manipulation is, uh, it uses fear. And if you don't want to be manipulated, keep your eyes on God and keep your eyes on love. <laughs> yeah, boob, the bob got dropped. <laughs> I don't know what just happened, but I think she was, I think that was, I got shot. I don't know what happened. <laughs> okay. So we got one that says God loves all the time, amen, and that the other one says manipulation is tied to fear and love is the other motivator. So either we can be led by fear or we can be led by love. Amen? Okay. So today, as I said, we're talking about this leader maker. So I want you guys to know that if you guys ever run into this kind of leader in your life, hold on to him for dear life. Because this kind of leader is the most blessing that you will ever have in your life. First of all, has anybody ever experienced this kind of leader just by the description? Okay, these people will literally, it's not about lifting you into extraordinary, but it's about pushing where you're called to be past where they're called to be. These people are amazing because they see themselves as the step that will lift you into Christ. They will bless you, they will hold you, they'll dream for you, they love for you, and they have their own struggles themselves, you know what I mean? But the thing is, 
What's beautiful about them is it will never be driven as long as they stay in a positive place, right? <laughs> about them. It ends up in a place where they'll sacrifice their own placement, their own will, their own dreams, their own hopes for the opportunity for one person, for what the grace that they see for one person. And that kind of person is a person you don't ever want to let go of. Because in the very least, you'll know that there'll be one person fighting in your corner for you to get to God. And that's what we want in this life. Amen? So, one of the things before I jump even deeper into this is as we go forward, I will not be preaching until Easter. Yes. I'm just joking. I don't know if that was a celebration because she doesn't like my preaching. I'm just like, I don't know if I'm supposed to celebrate that. But we are going to have a bunch of leaders preach over this next little section of time. We have Brother Jack is going to be preaching. Brother Tim in the back is going to be preaching. Jonathan is going to be preaching. Demi's going to be preaching. But the thing is, is that also, we're going to have Muana preach. And there's a place where we want to see that, as I said, I'm not, I'm not the most charismatic speaker. I'm like Mr. Bagu. I'll tell you lots of jokes that hopefully we land on the point sooner or later. You know, <laughs> it's like the Holy Spirit guides me to where we're supposed to be by accident. Um, but the thing is, is that, like, long story short, we have leaders who have very different giftings and very different ways to communicate themselves, and very different ways they support people and see people and want for people and want Jesus for people. And we want to be excellent at saying we honor those things more than we honor a man. Amen? Because we honor Jesus before any of us. The only king of our kingdom is Christ. And our priest is over all of us. And as we look at this, we want to look at it from many different angles. Because ultimately, we want Christ first. So to jump on this, we look at Acts 4, 4.36. It gives the clear reason why he is the son of encouragement. Because he was Joseph before, and then the apostles took it on themselves to name him Barnabas. It wasn't everybody else who named him. It wasn't Jesus who named him, like Peter, but it was the apostles who named Barnabas, which is super interesting because that means that the testimony of Barnabas went beyond just what Christ saw, and it went to what everyone experienced. There was a faithfulness. There was a goodness. His encouragement went beyond him. And in that place, as his encouragement went beyond him, everybody knew that the testimony of his life was that he encouraged and exhorted others. So the first lesson that you'll have, and we can't go into these litter makers without saying, is a leader maker can't help but encourage, hope, dream, and exhort others. Amen? Number two. Do, 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 do. Eyes to see, heart to seek. What does that mean? This isn't some weirdo kind of thing. A biblical leader has an eye that sees, 
where God is working and a heart to seek out the hidden places of grace that are potentially there. So I'm going to say that again. A leader maker has eyes to see where God is currently working to produce somebody and to produce a work. But he also has a heart to seek out the potential for grace that can occur. So when we look at this, Acts 11.23, the church in Jerusalem heard that a, a, a church had been planted in Antioch, right? And the one man that they thought would be the best to go there was the encourager, was, was none other than Barnabas. And Barnabas could always find something to encourage the people. And when he arrived and saw the grace of God that was bestowed on them, he rejoiced and began to encourage them, all with an unwavering heart to stay true and devoted to the Lord. So he gets there, right? And the first thing he sees is where God's working and the potential of what grace can be released by these people. And what does he do? He gets joyful and he's glad because his God is there. And that the potential for God's work is to pour out. And in that place, he encouraged them for what he saw, not just what he experienced. So the mark of a great leader maker, or a son of encouragement, as the apostles called him, was is the fact that when you experience these people, they're going to see things not always that you see. Because God is working. But the part that is the most amazing about them is even when the eye deceives you, they're looking for the potential for the Christ of their life, which is hopefully the Christ of all of our lives, to come to work and the possibility that he can overwhelm and win us over. Number three, risk takers. Risk taking is one of the most key things in this kind of person. But the, what, what, why? Because ultimately this person, if they see something that we don't see, if they see the potential for something that is hidden, what does that call for them? It calls if they are going to invest in something that does not exist yet, that is a potential, it takes a risk. But even more so, it takes it in a place that others will judge, that there's not even a guarantee. That ultimately, it will be the people who are the most obscure, or the most lost, or the most afraid, or like they don't know where they are. We look at Acts 9.26, and it says sometime after Paul's conversion, right, that he came to Jerusalem and tried to join the disciples. But he was, why were they afraid of him? Because he previously was persecuting them and killing them. So as he shows up on the scene, they're afraid. And he's claiming to be a Christian convert. He's, he's like, I'm a Christian now. 
And they're like, ah! And they said they were all afraid. I'd be afraid too. This brother's been killing folk. He's, he, he's been out there doing a job and a testimony enough that people who've never even seen his face know who he is. That means he was bad, you know? And then that brother comes, and he's like, I'm a Christian now. All of them are like, we don't know if Christ has that kind of power. <laughs> it's like that, I don't know about that. And the truth is, is we look around, and other than these kinds of leaders, there's also a few other leaders who will do this, but these leaders specifically will look at that person and say, there's a mighty work happening. Grace is among us. That when grace comes to life, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, even if it costs me everything, to see that treasure come to life. And who took a risk on Saul at this point? Barnabas. Did any of them dream that he, Paul would be the most prolific leader of the church? No, they thought that he was going to be the killer of the church. You know what I mean? Like, real talk. Like, <laughs> they thought he showed up to end them. But in reality, he came and he pushed the message further, arguably, than anybody. Other than maybe, some can argue, John. But, like, Paul wrote the most of the New Testament. And he ended up in a place where if one man didn't stick his neck out in the middle of when everyone was fear and everybody doubted, we wouldn't have a Paul. We see that in verse 27, it says that Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. What does that mean? Well, for him to present him to the apostles, it wasn't just that he was saying, oh, I'm, you can hitch a ride with me in my my car, it was literally, he's saying, you will ride on my namesake. I put my name and my, my, my reputation on the line so other people can see Christ. My testimony goes before me, and I give it up so that others will give you the chance. He becomes his advocate to the disciples. And as Barnabas watched and made note, this wouldn't be the last time that he made support of Paul's ministry, right? In fact, this is the start of a 15-year relationship. So the first mark that we said, right, was what? Encouragement. What was the second mark? Eyes to see, heart to seek. And the third one is risk-taking. And if we didn't have those things, we'd miss out on so much of the kingdom. We'd miss out on some of the most biggest blessings and radical changes that we'd see. Number four, humble and pushes other into prominence. We look and these people are self-effacing, right? They are humble. 
I think humbleness in itself is one that I hope to see in every leader. A Christian leader should always be humble. But the difference is, is that this leader pushes other people into prominence, which is not something that is organic to other leaders. This means that they have the beautiful gift of fading into the background while pushing others into prominence. They're not addicted to praise of men and do not crave the limelight. So in other words, they are not addicted to this placement of where they are continuing on their own growth. They're only addicted to the praise of God. So when we look, what does a leader maker do when when their ministry flourishes? When they all of a sudden have abundance and are fruitful, what are their choice to do? Some people would go and they would make themselves prominent. Some of them would take a stance and be like, I'm going to expand and I'm going to build upon this, right? What does a leader maker do? No, they look for the next place that they're supposed to sow everything into. See, in this place we look and Barnabas has just had this incredible fruitful season in Syria, right? And as he has this fruitful season in Syria where the church expands like crazy, which is beautiful. By the way, Barnabas is one of the most uneducated leaders out of all the apostles, other than, of course, Peter. But in that place, he, he, it's arguable that he might not have known how to read. He might not have known how to write. He also probably did not speak Greek. He, I mean, there's like this whole list of things that he was fantastic at serving God. But literally, he probably would have been like a janitor who was just faithful, a faithful man. But what's beautiful is he all of a sudden is one of the most fruitful, at this point, he's one of the most fruitful for saving people to the kingdom. Because the church expanded at a much quicker rate than anywhere else in Syria. So then what happens? What is his choice? Does he expand and go and push his authority more places? Does he go and ride the wave of the momentum of what's going on? Huh? No. What he does is he goes and says that he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year they met with the church and taught a large company of people. So you're telling me that in the success of all the things he's doing, he has all this momentum, it's growing all this authority, his testimony is growing in all these ways, right? And his choice is to take the enemy of Christianity, or following disciples of Christ at this time, they didn't have the term Christianity at this point, and he has, he's like, I'm going to go pursue this guy and ruin my testimony and actually throw away what I've invested in. And I'm going to love him. I'm going to chase down the one who did not, was not loved. But when he does this, He's committing himself to fall into the shadow of Paul from then on. He's made a commitment 
not just to continue on, but he's actually made a commitment to raise Paul to exactly where he was called to. He's, he, he takes a place where he expands himself, and it's beautiful, right? It's much like how a mechanic falls into the shadow of their race car driver from then on. He could be the best mechanic in the world, but who is the name that people remember? But the truth is, is that in Acts 1, 13, 1 through 3, the Holy Spirit sets Paul and, I mean, so Barnabas and Saul apart for the missionary journey to the unreached cities of Cyprus and Galatia, right? But we have to notice that, what's the order there? At this point, it's still Barnabas and Saul. And as they continue on, it becomes like this place where it's, it flip-flops. In Acts 13, 7, Barnabas is still honored. It says that they summoned Barnabas, not Saul, right? Now, I'm saying a whole bunch of scriptures. I think it's really important as we look. But at what point did it shift? Elimaeus, there was a magician who challenged the gospel. Power for power. Testimony. And at that moment, for the saving grace and the power was the moment that Barnabas did not step forward. At that moment, he recognized his gifts were not that of war, but of encouragement. So what did he do? Pushed Paul forward. He says, it's time to go to work. And at that moment, by that decision, he faded into the shadow so that Paul could step into the fulfillment of his gifting. Is that, a, is that a knock on him? No. In that moment, he let his pride slide away so that ultimately he can do what God made him to be, one who raises up others to look like Christ. And what he did was at that moment, Paul then, he, he comes forward, and from that point, there's only two times other than that that Barnabas has spoken about before Paul. One is when they talk about Hermes and Zeus. And the other one is when they go back to Antioch. Why is that? Well, at that point, they see that Zeus is the father, right, to Hermes. But what's interesting is they're saying the person who's bringing the message is Paul. Because Hermes was the messenger of the gods. So even by the suggestion of those relationships, it said that Paul came from Barnabas, but he no longer was a speaker, that Hermes was the one pushing the message. Just interesting little facts, because at that point, he's saying people recognize that Barnabas had this giant influence on Paul, transforming his vision, transforming the impact through the discipleship he gave him. He taught him about what love was. He taught him that these lessons that you've stored up your whole life, how to implement the doctrines you've been taught, to not just be in knowledge, but to be in application, to give your life away, to live your life for Christ. And at that point, it was visible that he had impacted Paul and transformed him and been the stepping stone for him to be the testimony of grace. But the power of that implementation was who could war more against 
somebody who was saying that our God had no power than someone who had experienced the unsurmountable power of grace. In that place, he was the implementation, and because he was that step, he was actually able to push somebody into the biggest testimony, powerful testimony that anybody could have, that our God saves, that our God does not give up, that our God does not just judge, but he loves, that our God will take all that was lost and transform it into something of value. That was what his testimony is. But for it to be true, this leader maker had to be the step which eventually gave way to what that placement of that person was who had better gifts in the field that needed. Amen? So, why is that even important? Because the truth is, is that the cost for each of these beautiful things is very different. When we look at Paul versus looking at, at, at Barnabas, right? These two roles had two different prices to pay. It's less likely to be stoned to be a son of thunder. Uh, you're, Barnabas was blessed that he was less likely to be stoned as the son of thunder than the son of thunder, right? So in other words, what I'm saying is Paul gets stoned right away. Barnabas had been on this journey the whole time, and he'd never been stoned. <laughs> so he was blessed. The cost for him was not that he was going to be persecuted and broken and, and torn apart. That wasn't a price he knew. But the benefit is, is that he got to pay the price of falling into the shadow because he didn't have to pay that price. He actually got to be somebody who supported and continued to strengthen those who did have to pay the price for persecution and brokenness so that he could be the, the testimony in the hidden places of God's grace. So that heart position of this leader drives and thrives on a position to see what God has done, is doing, and to seek to be the testimony of it living in the hidden places, not to bring themselves glory, but to bring God glory. Number five. Love for people, not for things. As I said earlier, it said that straight up, this brother sold his field, sold everything. It says it, Acts 4.37, right? I'm not going to even spend a ton of time on this. He could not be owned by things and ultimately be able to make the sacrifices he made. He would not have been able to be owned by a position, a placement, a house, family, any of those positions, and be able to make a sacrifice that got somebody to believe the God that is real for them the way he did. And ultimately, we're all blessed for it. We look at 1 Corinthians 9, 4 through 6. It says, have we not the right to our food and drink at the expense of the churches? Have we not the right to take along with us a believing wife, as do the rest of apostles and the Lord's brother and Cephas, Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to stop doing manual labor in order to support our ministry? It's such at a core place. He's saying, 
I do not work and do the ministry for money. I'm not hustling you. I do this ministry so people can know the love and grace of God. I want them to know that I have nothing to gain from them but everything to give, including breaking myself. We look at number six, which is my last point before we jump into it. In some ways, is the longest because there's a lot of like background noise that we have to talk through, right? Patience and gracefulness in the face of others' failures, we can sometimes surmise to the place of being um, super graceful or false grace, right? Where you just let everybody get away from it. We don't see that with Barnabas, nor do we see this with this kind of person. But what we see is that they will believe farther and longer than we'll believe for ourselves. We see that they have grace for where we fail, and then they believe to bring us into the identity that God has for us. They see the abundance of the inheritance that's been stored up like Christ did for Peter when Peter failed and failed and failed, and Christ continued to speak that identity into Peter to say, Peter, I see you as the foundation of this church. And Peter only only could see the person who abandoned Christ. We see that in the same place here, once again, not just with Paul, but we see it with John. Yeah, John Mark. How many of you guys have heard the story of John Mark? You guys know him? So, okay. John Mark goes out. I'm going to kind of do the summary version of this. But John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. Scriptural background for that. 4.10, Colossians 4.10, we know that. But we see that when Acts 13.2, that when they leave Antioch, that Paul is not alone with Barnabas, but that actually John Mark leaves with them. And as they leave, they take Mark, John Mark as the assistant in Acts 13.5. But something happens after they leave, and it doesn't say at all what happened. It just says that it's bad, and John Mark leaves the whole situation. He dips. It says that he heads back, that like, I think it's Acts, yeah, Acts 13, 13, it goes on to say that he heads back to Jerusalem. And that's as much as we get. Luke doesn't give no opinions. It's so objective. You actually don't even know if he messed up or if he made a bad mistake. or We don't know anything, right? But we know it's a bad enough thing that he deserted them. And there's no judgment we see in any of the scriptures about what it is. But we see that in Acts 15.36, which is up on there, that it picks up. And it's about two or three years later. And they're about to head out. They're about to go back on their next missionary journey. And Paul's like, you know, it's time to go pick up and go back where we've come through. You know, the people need to see us. And Paul's convinced that the time is right now for him to go back through and see people. And we look at the verse and it says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let us return and visit the brethren 
in every city where we proclaimed the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Paphlagia and had not gone with them to work. And there arose a sharp contention so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. So we look, there's a few things to jump out here. Was this deepness, was this a deep, offensive place? Do you guys see offense here? Yes. So Paul was, was he the closest friend to Barnabas? How many years had they spent together at this point? I said it earlier. Fifteen. And, like, they had been so close. Literally everything Paul could claim was because of Barnabas. And in that moment, he was willing to throw it away because of whatever had happened. He was willing to cast judgment. And Barnabas knew the cost of what was going to happen. He literally gave up where he had built everything. Do we see that reflect anything that we've already passed over in the sermon? We already see that the fact is, is that this is another testimony of where Barnabas sees where God is working and he seeks out the potential for grace. He could choose to go on the fruits and continue on with the most the most great authority place and the greatest to bring him the most reputation, but instead he chooses the person who failed and chooses the person who deserves judgment to bring them grace and love. Amen? But where this is beautiful is, is that it's so deeply, like there's this disagreement, they separate. Which one's right? Do we know which one's right? Well, the scripture doesn't say other than there's a little scripture that says the church commended them, commended Paul and Silas. So what that suggests is, is that the church thought whatever happened, that Paul and Silas was correct. So in other words, what this lesson teaches us, even in the place where John Mark deserted them, he turned his back on the situation. He betrayed them. They had every right to judge. They had every right to take a posture to distance themselves. It was right to do that. It was just. But a leader maker sees that opportunity to pour out grace, bring God into the situation, and still fight for what has not been given up yet. Because God has not given up, so they will not give up. The reason why this is so important is because in the face of that betrayal, he withheld judgment. Paul, in a lot of ways, has the biggest testimony of this. But because of the kind of leader he is, he couldn't see this. But a leader maker can't help but fight for the grace that's in abundance. Come on up, worship team. So I want us to go back through these points real quick. And now that we've talked through Barnabas through all of this, I've 
I've been blessed with this kind of leader in my life, like this kind of person in my life to feed my life. But as we talk through it, this kind of person, when you're down, when you're hopeless, or when you're hurt, when they see when you're hiding, and they can't help but encourage and say, I see God for your life. I see hope for your life. I see dreams for your life. How can I support you? That exhortation is not just one that is hidden or in the, the, this dreamland or in some skeptical place where we're just talking words. It's a place where their money and their life gets placed in proof. They're not just semantics. They're not just telling you words. They're not just saying, you know what, I will pray for you. In reality, they followed up and they are there. They dream. They hope for you. The truth is, is that even when the world does not see that you are an outcast, you're tossed, you're broken, they see the possibility of grace. They feel stupid for it. They judge themselves for it. But they can't help but be the fool for Christ. Because what they are seeing is their God work. They're seeing the, the possibility for grace. And they can teach us that the character of God saves. They can teach us how to hope in the impossible. They can see us being encouraged and dreaming for the grace and power of God to overwhelm us. That is a lesson they teach through their actions, not just their words. But ultimately, one of the most challenging places for these people is not just that they, they talk, they, they have this great heart, but it's at the end of the day, they put their mouth where their money is. And they will take every risk. They will be at the place where they are willing to let it all go. They're letting it to come to ruin. If it means that God has experienced even for a moment. That risk taker in them brings us to a place where we actually can experience the gospel. Even if it was at the cost of everything. The truth is, is that these people, they come into prominence. But then they fade from prominence. That God gives them what they need to pour out. And they don't hoard it. They don't hold on to it. They're not given it as a place to, of retribution or this place to continue to grow themselves and be like, yeah, high and mighty. But they're given it to a place to expand the glory of God in the hidden places. The places that are ruined, the places that are broken. The ultimate place that transforms our lives is when these people love people more than the idols of this world. And finally, when all fails and all is broken and all has fallen apart, these are the people who you know won't leave the scene. They might have a lot to say. They might talk your ear off. They might tell you you're wrong. They might tell you, you know, you're tripping. But at the end of the day, you know they're in your corner. And they'll continue for you to get to God even when you can't dream of it. For you guys out there who might have experienced some of these characteristics from the leader around you in your life, I pray that you experience it more. We do have a leader here who is like this. You would never know it until you interact and you get to interact with it. For those of you who need a word in the middle of your brokenness right now, who need to be spoken to because you have so much judgment and fear of where you failed. 
who have a placement that ultimately says, I'm not good enough and I can't make it. I want to pray for you. I want people to pray for you. This leader is here to serve you. In this place where you see that I'm not a risk worth taking, I tell you it's a lie. And the testimony of this place is we have this leader will say it's a lie. But ultimately, those of us who need the drink, the drink of the Spirit, and we don't know what the impact our real life is, I say, please, come. Because we want to exemplify that. And my last thing I'm going to say today, those of you guys who don't know what's happening in your lives or you don't know where to go and you say, I don't have anything to give, I just pray that you, as we continue to go through this, would see that you, you are what the world's been waiting for. That each of us, there is a placement that is crying out to know our God. And that you, you are a testimony of God's grace and power. And there's people who are willing to make the sacrifice for you to know that, not just through their words, but through their behaviors. And I pray that all of us would gain these lessons. Amen? Will you guys join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the ultimate testimony of this. I thank you that, <clears throat> that we get so thirsty sometimes, Lord. I pray that whatever leaders I was talking to out there on Facebook world, that this exemplifies them, Lord. I pray that they would hear where they feel stupid for their investments, where they feel dumb for where they've failed, where it's cost them everything, where they've been left, where they've been abandoned, where they've been hurt, that it's only a testimony of where they want to serve God. Lord, I pray that you would refresh them, that you would take your band-aids and you would just wrap them up. Lord, that you would say, I see you, son, and I see you, daughter. I see you. I see your sacrifice. I see your heart that would want to seek me. I see you. Lord, I pray for those who are still waiting for the chance to be picked up and carried and brought to you, Lord. I pray that we would be quick. We would be quick to make the sacrifice and the risk, and we would slow down talking so much, and we would be even quicker to pick up the actions, Lord. I pray that we would be driven by a heart that seeks your grace and your patience for your people, and I pray that ultimately that we would stand up Stand up as testimonies of you because we've experienced you enough to say you're true and you're real, Lord. I pray for those who do not know you yet, that they would get to know you, Lord. That they would not be lost and broken, but Lord, that you would be, that you would be found in that broken place. That you would be known in that broken place. And that it would be people who could say, my God is king. My God is here. And my God is with you that would be the ultimate testimony to them. Lord, I pray that we would not count the cost and say it's too much. I pray that we would count the cost and say it's not enough. It's not enough to overwhelm the power of your might, the power of your goodness, and the power of your love. I pray that we would see your eclipsing glory and let it overtake us and ask ourselves, where does it end? I pray these things in your name. Amen.